You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. This episode is brought to you by the McKinsey Quarterly. Hello and welcome to this edition of the McKinsey Podcast with me, Simon London. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the fuzziest words in the business dictionary, design. Perhaps it's clear to designers, but for the benefit of the rest of us, what actually is design? And as an executive, when and how much should you invest in it? And if you do, how should you organise, measure and manage your design capability? To discuss the issues, I caught up with Benedict Shepherd, a London-based McKinsey partner who's led some recent research into the business value of design. We were joined by Hio Yan, a New York-based McKinsey partner and also a practising designer. So Hio and Ben, uh, thanks so much. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Thank you. I'm going to start with a, a, a very simple question. When we're talking about design, Hio, what are we talking about? I think there are three core elements to design. One, obviously, is the craft, the, the doing of design, which is um, closer to artisanal, beautiful, creating artifacts, creating uh, experiences. The next is the end product, I would say, a product or a service or, you know, in my, in my world, a digital experience. All of those things are actually design. And then the third, which is design thinking, which I think many people are familiar with, is the method by which we uh, tackle problems or, or, ch- or challenges. And it's not just design problems, it's any kind of problem that we can uh, crack with a design thinking methodology. So those three things come together. So it's like a craft, a process, and then an end product, but it doesn't have to be a physical product, it could be a service or something like that. Would you agree with that, Ben? Is that a good summation? Absolutely. And I think all of those three come together uh, in that they're all trying to do one thing. They're all trying to get under the skin of understanding users and then create, design something to meet their, their needs. I do think design is one of those terms which means many things to, to many people. It's one of those terms that's abused and misused, like agile and big data. And I, and I think one of the things that we are very keen to make sure is design isn't boxed in as being seen as just about physical products or just about color, material, finish, aesthetic. It's often asserted, I think implicitly by us as well, that design is more important today. Is that true? And if so, why is it true? I think we would argue that design has always been important. If your company isn't making great products or services, and frankly, what is it doing? What I do think has changed over the last few years is that it's getting harder to do great design and stand out from the crowd. And there's a couple of reasons for that, some of them internal, some of them external. Externally, you've got rising consumer expectations set by the likes of Amazon that leak into every field of life, whether it be consumer or business. You've got a world where marketplaces are ever more global and therefore companies are being compared to more competitors than ever before, making it hard to stand out. Then, of course, you've got the internal piece, which is design used to be seen as a very discrete field. As design has evolved, it's become more cross-functional. Physical, digital, service design have all converged. And that's great for the end user, but from an organisational point of view, that's very challenging indeed to, to manage. And because all of these different forces have come together at once, 
it means that the act of making standout products and services that really delight customers is harder than ever before for many companies out there. I think all of this um, points to something that I, that I think is important to talk about, which is design is not one product or one touch point or one channel even. It's the whole end-to-end -end journey of a user or a customer. So all of that needs to be looked at in one holistic way in order to solve for any point in that journey, including all of the sort of players in the ecosystem and looking at the beginning, middle, and end of how they experience a particular service or brand or product is, is the way to solve for and create really awesome design. So let's, uh, let's get to the meat of the, the research. Uh, ben, if you don't mind, start, just describe what actually we did. So what we did is look at the performance of 300 publicly listed companies over a five-year period. And in that five-year period, we were interested in two things about those companies. Firstly, their financial performance. How did they do in terms of revenue, in terms of profit, in terms of shareholder return? The second thing we were interested in is what are the design actions that those companies took over that same period? And a design action could be putting someone in the executive board who has a responsibility for design. Or a design action could be changing people's bonus structure to tie to design metrics, not just to financial metrics. What we ended up with was a database which we believe to be truly unique. It contains 2 million financial data points, 110,000 design actions. And of course, the question we then had is, well, is there any correlation between those two? Now, how much of the, the information about design actions came from publicly available data, like earning statements, these kind of things, or how much of it actually came from getting you know, real access to the guts of what the companies have done? This is really going behind the curtain for these organizations. And therefore, one of the things that we're not able to do is release the names of those companies because they've given us this privileged access, which has allowed this data to happen for the first time. There have been other reports which have been done with outside in information before. However, I don't think, speaking with our own clients, they've been granular enough or rigorous enough to actually lead to different behavior by senior management. What we're hoping we've done for the first time is create a quantitative, analytical look at what truly drives business performance from a design perspective. And just give us the top line results. If you only remember one thing, it's that good design is good business. And, and the numbers are dramatic here. The revenue growth of top design performers was almost double that of their industry peers. The shareholder return growth of top design performance was 70% higher than their industry peers. These are dramatic numbers. Now, McKinsey does a lot of social science work looking for correlation between organizational actions and financial performance. This is some of the most dramatic that we've seen in the last decade. So that's the top line message. The second thing that came out of the, the research was that good design is good business across a very broad set of industries. And we looked at three. We looked at consumer packaged goods, we looked at medical devices, and we looked at retail banking. We chose those quite purposefully because we were interested to understand is product design different from service design? Is that different from digital design? Is only one of these tied to improve business performance? And the results categorically say no, this is about design overall. It's about understanding your customers. It's about creating a great solution for them. And it doesn't matter whether that's physical, digital or service. The third and final insight was that this is a game of disproportionate rewards. An extra dollar spent on design doesn't necessarily mean an extra dollar of output. This was really a case where if you do design 
fantastically well, you stand out from the competition, then you are disproportionately rewarded in terms of revenue and certainly disproportionately rewarded in terms of the market. And that kind of makes sense from a user perspective. Frankly, no one cares if your product is the 32nd best or the 31st best. Users are going to be looking at the top two or three and comparing them. And if you're not in that space, then you're out of the game. Now, the question is, for top performing companies who are really good at design, what do they do differently? So we looked at hundreds of design actions that these companies were taking. Time after time, four themes kept on rising to the surface as the design actions with the best correlation with improved performance. The first one was around design being more than a feeling. It was about analytical leadership, making sure that you treated design with the same level of rigor that you might treat revenue or cost when discussing it in the boardroom. The second theme was around design being more than a phase. It's about continuous iteration, making sure that from strategy to launch, you continue to optimize your design by testing it with users time after time after time. Those companies that have a single discrete design phase and then never change the design after that point are much more likely to have a product that flops at launch, as opposed to those companies that continue to iterate from strategy to launch to keep on improving, refining, optimizing. And sometimes people think that means more cost. It doesn't necessarily. In fact, it can mean the opposite. If you prototype cheaply enough and early enough, you can actually avoid a big costly mistake later down the line. The third piece was around design being more than a department. Those companies that siloed the designers and didn't see them as part of the organization financially didn't perform anywhere near as well as those who embedded them in cross-functional teams and made design everyone responsibility. If you create an artificial silo of designers and don't allow them to integrate with the rest of the business, that usually leads to a drop in business performance. The final theme was around design being more than a product. No user wakes up and says, it's brilliant that the designers on hardware and software in that company had clearly never spoken to each other. We're living in a world where experience matters and you need to create a seamless experience between physical, digital and service design. And take the automotive industry. They do, don't want just a physical car anymore. They want that to connect with their smartphone. They want that to connect with their lives in a way that they wouldn't have expected five years ago. That means a new form of convergent design. And the companies who have understood that are reaping the financial rewards. I'm just going to be a, a methodological devil's advocate because somebody will be listening to this at home or in the car and is going to say, well, that's all very well, Ben, but presumably you do just have correlation here. You don't have causation. Back to, to the comment around social science. Yes, many things affect something like shareholder value. You could never claim that is only driven by design. It would be wrong of us to in any way suggest it. However, for 300 companies, 110,000 design actions, 2 million financial data points, to take that information and still through all of the noise of other things happening in the world, see such strong correlation, that really suggests something quite powerful here. And it's certainly enough to make us stand up and say, we think this is something quite remarkable. So the strength of the correlation, as much as anything, if it was a really weak signal, you know, it might be more of a valid yeah. objection. But on this one, there's something going on here. The strength, and it, it's happening multiple times. So absolutely, if you look at the overall performance from a design perspective, that correlates. But if you look at the individual themes of best performance, all of those correlate as well. That would be extraordinary coincidence. So here, let's just bring you in, uh, in here. Of those four themes that Ben just went through, are any of those surprising to you? As a designer, it's, it's clear that a beautifully designed, well thought out product involves 
people from all, all disciplines of an organization. As a designer, you also know that you need to have real data and real information to inform you about how a user behaves or what the uh, shortcomings or the opportunity areas are. And as a designer, we've been trained to um, iterate very quickly, so involve the user throughout a design process, prototype, get stuff out there, and respond to uh, how users work with those prototypes to refine over time. So all of those principles have been our bread and butter for many, many years. I think for, for as long as I can remember, I have wished that we could have an ROI conversation after a design presentation, and I think that finally we might be able to do that. Yeah. That was one of the, the most stark findings from the research, was to say if you look at these actions, whilst they may be common sense, they're not common practice, because they need senior management to orchestrate. They can't be done by designers alone. And therefore, if you want to really make a shift change, you need all of your senior management on board to make this possible. So just to, to double click on, on one of the themes that you mentioned, uh, which is more than a department, you know, this idea that you cannot silo design, that it has to be integrated. You know, as somebody who works with designers, uh, slightly tongue in cheek, I must say that feels challenging because designers are different, right? Wouldn't you agree here? I mean, designers do need slightly different, uh, different treatment, have slightly different expectations about how they're going to work in an organization. Yes, to a degree, they are different. You know, they need space or we need space to, uh, to be inspired, to think about things in a slightly different way, to learn from other designs that, that we come across. But I think that's evolving, actually. And there are these, I don't know if I should call it new, but a new generation of designer that is much more T-shaped, not just um, expert in the field of design, but also very savvy about technology, very savvy about business impact, um, very interested in working across the organization with many different functional areas to really make sure that that end product that comes out of the design process is uh, makes absolute business sense, is absolutely usable, and is absolutely feasible. Once you've got those, those rare T-shaped hybrid designers inside your organization, you can then do a lot to help them integrate with the rest of the, the, the organization. You put them with people from engineering, from marketing, from finance, from project management. Aligned incentives goes an awful long way to make sure everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet, making sure that everyone feels a responsibility for understanding the user. Everyone feels a responsibility for the overall success of the product or service can break down a lot of the internal barriers be between different departments. One example that came out of the research uh, was for a global furniture manufacturer. They decided to close down a design center, which they felt had siloed many of their best creative thinkers. They integrated those people into cross-functional teams. And if you fast forward three years, not only were they getting products to market 10% faster because they'd reduced the internal friction, but they were generating 30% more revenue. And that was because everyone felt that design was their responsibility, not just a small group of designers. Another really interesting theme is this idea that bringing data to bear on design is a really important set of practices. I did wonder here, as a practicing designer, does that feel a little bit like design by numbers? Sort of what's the role of the, the craft that you mentioned earlier, the creative spark? 
Well, first of all, I think the data that we have access to now is incredible. You know, that the kind of very specific nuances that we can get from um, data and analytics is, is amazing, and it really contributes to great, great design. That said, I think there's still the qualitative, the intuitive, that special piece of inspiration that really takes it to the next level that I think is the magic of an amazing designer. Empathizing with a user or customer is, is the key, uh, the key method or the key activity in, in great design that I don't think is really translatable to data or analytics or any of those things. Uh, design brings empathy into the problem solving process. And I think that's the qualitative intangible. I, I completely agree. And I think there's a piece around order here. Data is a great place to start for, for sources of insight. There is still absolutely room for that moment of inspiration, that moment of human connection to work out how to make a product or service stand out. I think what the research shows, though, is once you've got that great idea, do check it's a great idea. Go back to the users, test with them, iterate. The best iteration is when you're doing it using qualitative and quantitative techniques. If you really want to understand your users when you're designing something new, you can't just rely on ethnographic research. You need to make use of new analytic tools to understand payment data, understand click-through data, understand warranty analysis to get under the skin of users and frankly find out things they might not even know themselves. So put yourselves in the shoes of, of, a, of a general manager, an executive committee member who's maybe not responsible for a design function, got no particular design background, are there some sort of takeaways, Monday morning actions, things I can do differently to sort of help raise design, design thinking, design process in the organization? Absolutely. If you want to start, don't try and do all four themes at an organizational level all at once. That, that is a path to ruin. It makes much more sense to choose an individual product or service, which is really important, and use that as your pilot for these four themes. If you don't even have time for that, if you want to start something on Monday, there are actions you can take before even doing this on a product or service. One of the examples that we loved from the research we saw was from a consumer packaged goods company. The CEO really wanted to accelerate the focus on users. He felt that they'd lost touch with the users and they were just talking about financial metrics. He walked into the room and said, this Christmas, half of your bonus is going to be tied to how many stars out of five our products get on Amazon. Is that a perfect metric? Absolutely not. It's very crude. But instead of creating a cottage industry and design metrics, it fundamentally changed the discussion in the boardroom to say, how will this affect our users? And it had exactly the cultural effect he wanted to kickstart the discussion. So look for ways that you can promote user centricity, customer centricity in your organization. And where next for the research? The research really is the start rather than the finish. We're excited about putting it out into the world. It brings with it world firsts. However, many people are going to be asking themselves the question, how do we stack up in terms of design? We'll be putting out the, the data from this research in a form that's useful for business leaders. They'll be able to go online, test their own design actions over the past years, and that will be consolidated into a single number, a single score on their design performance. That will be their McKinsey Design Index score. They'll be able to see how that score compares to the other 300 companies who have compared here. They'll be able to see where they're strong, where they may have capabilities that they can focus on, and crucially, what's the value at stake here? 
if they decide to go for this, if they decide we want to be top quartile design performers, what could the financial benefits be? So there's going to be a diagnostic, there's going to be an instrument out there, so to speak, that uh, is, is going to be available to all comers. That's the plan. We want to make this widely available. I think this is an important way to kickstart the conversations between design leaders and business leaders. I'm afraid we're out of time for today. Uh, but a big thank you to uh, Ben and to Hiro for being with us today. It's a pleasure. No, thank you. And thanks as always to you, our listeners, for tuning in. To learn more about the business value of design and about the work of McKinsey Design, please visit us at mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.